It's time, Wolf, for the last Monty and Wolf show of the year of 2023. <laughs> it's the end of sad. August. We didn't have a show last week, guys, uh, because Wolf was still out and about at uh, at the actual venue for the finals. And we said we we're going to wait until we got to the regional results so we could talk about all the teams going to Worlds. So here we are. Here we are. Yeah. How was finals? How was your finals experience? Well, I mean, it was a bit of a roller coaster of a playoffs and finals weekend. And um, for more reasons than one, um, part of it being the KT Rollster Coaster, which uh, we were all riding um, quite significantly throughout that event. The finals sucked. The KT versus T1 match was pretty fun. Um, the previous KT versus T1 match was pretty fun. The Gen G T1 match that happened before the finals was messy. Um, and one of those two teams walked out of that best of five, learning something and improving a lot. The other team was still kind of stuck in the past. Uh, we had a pretty terrible finals, but we had a pretty fun lead up to the finals in most of those games. KT versus T1, both of those series were really fun. Gen G versus T1 was uh, not as fun, was definitely messier than um, than the series, the, the rest of the best of fives that went to five. But T1, they were pretty hampered by Faker's Champion Pool, um, which was a problem that we saw with Zeka as well. I feel like I, I can't remember a time in recent history where mid-Champion Pool was such a problem for the LCK, but here we are. I, I think what was so crazy to me, Wolf, is that when we saw the, T, the second T1 versus KT match in the loser's bracket... We didn't see the same bands that we saw from Gen G, which were Azir, Nico, and Zaya. It seems really obvious that these are the bands that you try and dish out against T1. So I don't understand why KT is maybe they just were cocky because BDD did well in lane in the first series uh, that they played. And that really wasn't the reason why KT lost, that they thought, oh, it's fine. We can just let have Faker Faker have the Azir and the Nico over and over and over again. But it was really bizarre that that's what they came in with their strategy. And it seemed like, you know, the game where they didn't let Faker have Nico and Azir, he was just pretty terrible on Cassiopeia. And they should have just continued to roll with the strategy that forced him off those two picks it may have come across on the cast a little bit but after game two i was so angry in between game two and game three i was like yelling at the other casters like why are they letting faker play azir every game like how are they allowing this to happen and then they tried to play through picking faker over and over and over again after it didn't work in game one then they tried again in, in game two and even with faker's injured hands the one thing he's going to do is slip out of a sticky situation and his team's going to turn on the play that's what faker's done for like the last two years all the time on this pick and as is one of those champions you can escape from a million miles away on and then of course or escape to a million miles away and also you have your empress divide so it's really difficult to actually to pick faker and, and to try to kill him in these types of uh, scenarios and yet they let him keep having it. And even though he played Nico pretty well in terms of team fight engage, he also was a primary reason why I think some of those games that KT won um, were won because he overforced on that top side play, for example, I think in game four, and really just didn't have a consistent performance in general. And Vega looked very weak in this series, but. They didn't punish him until they went into that game three. And if they hadn't have, I think it might have been a 3-0, to be totally honest, if they just let him have his ear again in that third game. Uh, Guma also super reliant on Zaya. They didn't take that away. And it just felt like, where's the confidence? Where's the planning here, KT? Like It, it felt like overall a very weak series for them where they didn't have a strong strategy. They just came in saying, we're better. And then they... The, put hands at level one, let's all in. Like they did the same thing they did in the last series, which didn't work. And they and like the hands lost his confidence in the series as well. Didn't play very well, overextended a lot. He had his own good moments, right? He had some good engages and team fights, but he was, I feel like 40% of the hands we saw in regular season when KT was dominant and in first place. And it was really just kind of an embarrassing series for KT overall, even though it went to five. <laughs> I mean, they they almost lost game four because of Lehens again, like you say, just trying to run it down level one. 
uh, it was just really baffling to me. The parallels that we saw KT really being so cavalier in the early game, um, not having enough. Like, I think they were surprised by the eight support bands in game number one. So we just ended up with a totally useless singe that felt like a panic pick almost. Um, so I was just really disappointed in KT this series. Although I will say they they did clean it up. They looked a lot better in the regional qualifiers. They were able to actually secure their world slot, which it's disappointing that they couldn't actually give a good finals uh, against Gen G because I think that would have been a more compelling series. But they couldn't overcome T1. And I'm not sure what it was about these two best of fives, but they just felt kind of like they were losing to themselves a lot of the time. Yeah, I completely agree. And I feel like, KT, we see teams fall into this trap sometimes. We've seen T1 do it a little bit, but generally not as bad as this. But a lot of the time when a team goes on a first place run and they're as dominant as KT was, they just kind of forget why they were good and just go, oh, we're just better than everybody else and like really hard force and try to get massive early game advantages. If you look at KT's kill differential in all of their games throughout the regular season, especially in round two, it was like massive disparities. Even if the early game was kind of like, all right, we went three to one or or three to two in the early game, they would just keep pushing their advantages so well and finish the game at like 17 to four. You know, that was this insane stops. Like a lot of KT's games were absolute stomps. And they did have some games where they came back, right? There, there were a few uh, throughout the season, but against most of the regular season teams that were significantly worse than them, they didn't have to be tested in draft. They didn't have to be tested in what happens if early game goes badly against a good team. Like, they got tested a few times, right? But the second time they were playing against T1, T1 had Pobi. The first time they were playing against uh, Genji, there was the Shiv incident, right? The second time against Genji, they stomped them. Genji had a bad read on that series. So then they otherwise just kind of absolutely bopped every other team they played, and I feel like they didn't learn that much. And I don't know who they were scrimming with, but clearly the results were not very good um probably in in retrospect and like d plus um i heard from d plus that they were scrimming kt a lot and actually just stomping them in the lead up to this and in in worlds qualifiers um and we know obviously now d plus had a very great run through the world's gauntlet but um kt just really fell off in a big way and it's it's hard to quantify and explain because they just made bad choices it's just (laughs) almost as simple as that and like I yeah. said, we're not we're not wrong about our read on KT. We weren't wrong about our thoughts on what KT at their best could have done. It just didn't happen. They just didn't show up. Yeah, I I don't I don't really understand what possessed them to take all of these like risks in the early game in the first series. Just like continuously pick Renekton. Uh, and then not have an answer to Zayas's champion pool, which you knew he had, and then Zayas has a great series. And in this one, it's like, just don't give Faker the tools that he needs to succeed. He's not that good right now. He's not. Yeah. <laughs> we, we saw that in the final. Chovy bopped him. I mean, Azir is one of those picks that I feel like you can play when you're significantly worse mid than your opposition, because Azir doesn't interact with the enemy champions directly like he interacts via his sand soldiers so you can just put the sand soldiers down and play around that if you're smart and you have bad hands you should be able to like do fine in most cases and then obviously if you're a top 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 level azir i think you can get huge lane prio you can actually put a lot of pressure on but faker is like the most storied azir player of all time so he has absolutely the understanding of how far he can push those limits, how far he can push into the lane when, you know, BDD is roaming. Like, can he grab that plate and then skate his way out, as he did many times throughout playoffs? And it just felt super obvious to me, based on how T1 was drafting every time where they were often first picking his ear or grabbing it in that first rotation, saying, we, we have to make sure Faker is on this. And, like, to me, watching it, it felt so obvious that they are reliant on this pick, but it seemed like the rest of the, the teams in playoffs didn't realize it until much later. Gen G, they definitely knew after watching the KT series, they were like, well, if we just take this away, take away the Nico, and then Guma can't play Zaya, it's a little bit tougher um, for T1 to get these wins because they are so reliant on those three picks. Zayas, on the other hand... You don't want to ban this guy out because obviously he's got a massive champion ocean. He's not going to have problems. He's got really strong picks on this meta. The Aatrox, he was somewhat reliant on, but he did it very well. He did it blind. Um, and then Carrie obviously, is a player who can play a plethora of engage and disengage support, so much harder to target him. I like the strategy of T1 banning all the supports that they did against KT. It felt like they had a good read that Lehens 
he wants to go in no matter what, and he can't help yes. himself right now in this meta. So just take <laughs> away all of his opportunity to do that. Because Lahenz has fantastic hands, and he will absolutely pop off if he gets the advantage. But if he if he doesn't have the, the champs or the tools to do that, like Singed, for example, he looks a lot weaker. Yeah. Yeah, or you just play Lulu into him, and, you know, he can't do much anymore. And you also just are able to very effectively bully aiming when he's playing the Zeri in the laning phase. I mean, I think T1, to their credit, had a very good plan for how to deal with KT, uh, to your point. But, I, I, and it, it just felt the exact opposite way when we got to the final, where Genji was clearly extremely ready for everything that T1 could throw at them. They stuck to these Azir, Nico, Zaya bands that we said were critically important and then just knew what they were going to pick and had all of the answers. It's like, yes, we will bring back the Silas once again. Sure, we'll bring back Cassante mid. So it's just kind of like Chovy's greatest hits from the last year of League of Legends play. And even Pays, who had not played Neela before, when that's really been a Gumi Yushi, Yushi pick, had the Neela uh, for the bot lane. And even though that was a, a tough game that T1 arguably could have won, Genji's composition was just this massive AoE CC wombo combo that made it very difficult for T1 to play out uh, any kind of win condition in the mid game because any grouping was just going to be dominated by Genji. If you look at the drafts as well from Genji, Peanut played Sejuani uh, twice, I believe, and Pays played Zeri twice, and Delight played Rakan twice, but otherwise, everyone played different stuff every game. Like, all three drafts were completely different. They were all great answers to what T1 put out. They were super prepared for this finals, and we were having the discussion before the finals, like, is the advantage of, of having winner's bracket enough versus, you know, the, the teams that play on that stage the day before have played in front of the crowd, they've warmed up, they're familiar with the stage setup, and I generally lean towards extra prep is way more important. But the turnaround time from going to the end of that best of five with KTT1 into the next day is extremely hard for T1, obviously, but there's not that much that goes into the timing for prep, and you can't, like, scrim between those games. It's not going to be like, oh, let me try a new strategy. You have to be prepared and, and ready with strategies, and then you can alter your plan, but you won't have a lot of time to play, like, five games of Camille if you're Doran to like get back into the, the vibe about what playing Camille is like. But clearly Genji proved that if you have the extra time and T1 played several long best of five series where you got a ton of data on Faker, especially which I think they used to great effect, it, it, it does really give you such a huge advantage if you have a robust coaching staff. And I think the the time that KT had, for example, and the time that Hanwa had, we'll get into that in a minute before Worlds qualifiers, was just not utilized correctly. Genji absolutely with score and the, and the coaching staff there used it to great effect. And we saw Talia. From what are Joby. you talking about? KT number one coaching staff of the split. <laughs> no, no, Monty, no, um, no, Monty, no. Um, you know, I wasn't even there the whole time. Uh, but, uh, I love you, by the way, and I do think he's a great coach, but like, I also, I, I also will tell you guys, I, don't vote for coach of the year. I didn't vote for coach of the year. Like, I don't know enough about it. Um, but uh, anyways, Chovy's impact on the Talia, fantastic. His Cassante game into Talia was very good. His laning face, he just walked up to Talia on Cassante and just got Faker's face and, like, beat him in lane. And then they, they fell behind, but then he made the clutch play to get the flash Q3 knockup in that uh, fight, I believe, around the Baron towards the end of the game. And mm. then uh, and, and Guma died. Um, and that was a very sad uh, and awkward moment. And I mean, during the finals, we wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, like because Faker was there with the Weaver's Wall, right? As, as, it, as he got picked and he is Zaya, you know, he does have his ultimate. We're like, okay, maybe they're trying to bait something there because they lost control of the map. But in all likelihood, he's, he most likely got picked. And Guma's map awareness is not his strong point. So <laughs> that was kind of That is a true statement. <laughs> it, it, it was kind of tragic in that it felt like that game was close enough to where maybe T1 could shift some momentum and make it an interesting series. But then, no, it didn't happen. And it was a very boring finals, as the last few T1 Genji finals have all been. Uh, and the third Genji title in a row now, um, in spite of the fact that uh, I think they were they were favorites in two of them, I guess. They were favorites last summer and this summer, underdogs in the spring.
still managed to win all three, um, these last three. And I think for, for me, I'm really glad T1 bounced back, even though we've been kind of negative about T1 and positive about KT, you know, T1 did pull off the win. And I think they did have a really strong game plan coming in against KT. Uh, it's just that KT failed to adapt and was playing quite strangely compared to what we had seen during the regular season. But at least we got a good playoffs. There was always going to be a concern that Faker coming back after this injury, he was not going to be up to stuff. And yeah, he like he didn't have his best playoffs. He he lost lane a lot to BDD and Chovy, but his shot calling was evident. The rest of his team stepped up, you know, for the most part, uh, Gumiyushi and Zayas and Karia were all quite good. Owner was. Uh, he was okay. He had, yeah, his, there was, he had, he had some he had his bad moments. moments and his okay moments. Like there were there were not very many great moments, unfortunately. But uh, they they weren't able to punish him as well as they wanted to. So you know, he, it wasn't as important that uh, he was looking a little bit off, and he has kind of looked off throughout playoffs and, and the end of regular season as well, a little bit shaky. But we'll see if he can bring it back um, for Worlds. But I just felt like. If Faker was on point and again could use the champion pool that we know he has, maybe this would have been a different scenario. Yeah. And I think this season will kind of always be remembered of the, as the season that Faker got injured because obviously without him, the team couldn't do anything. And with him, they did as much as they could, but like he was very clearly limited, right? And um, they still made the finals, which is a, a cool and incredible story in itself, which is why from a narrative perspective and from a, obviously game five perspective into a massive crowd and day on um, perspective, like that T1 KT series was so awesome because T1 were very much the underdogs. KT did, did kind of drop the ball, but it was a five game series. And it there was like the, Oh, Faker, he's back. And like, he, he's, he's making it happen. They keep trying to kill him and they can't catch him. Um, kind of storyline there. And then obviously Guma clutching it out slash KT running it down. Um, in the final game, which was a crazy fifth and final game. Yeah, it was a wild game. Um, that that was a really fun cast. That was definitely one of my uh, like favorite League of uh, Legends series I've cast thus far. Even though I think if you look at like the was it the greatest level of play, like was it the highest le level of League of Legends? No, I, I think it definitely was not. But in terms of the stakes, I, I thought it was it was really really fun to be a part of. The crowd was amazing. Um, viewership was amazing. I was really happy with how that all went down. And then, you know, the finals, at least the opening ceremony, just on that note, the opening ceremony was really cool. Um, I really liked, like, Genji kind of standing there to defend their title and T1 walking out great. to try to take it. Also, um, the hype video was really good this time. I thought that the, the LCK of the last few years have sometimes tried to go a little bit too over the top or a little bit too, like, bizarre. But this one just felt like simple but nice you know yeah, very basic good. and i really really enjoyed it caster john um nailed it as always and uh yeah it was a very very good um finals production the there were no tech issues as well which we've had a few times over the last few finals so bad games but like very good and and, and monty i think it's time to to say that we're living in the the era of Genji. Like, this is a Genji era. They've won these last three titles, and despite not getting first place in regular season, they were very close. They were very dominant, and in these peak series, even when people doubt them, even when they're not the favorites, they just keep clutching it out. Like, this is a strong best-of-five team. So, what's going to happen with them at Worlds? Will they actually just not <laughs> choke at Worlds? Will they actually do a good job at Worlds? I'm optimistic. I'm a little will, optimistic. Will Chovy will turn back into Hanwha Chovy like he did last year instead of being Genji Chovy, which is one of the weirdest regressions I've ever seen, where it's like, Chovy, you spent the last two years like learning about map awareness and how to macro, and then he just forgot all of that, and he turned back into a pumpkin, which was very, very strange. Very strange at last world's but, but they're going to be in korea this time perhaps it'll be a little bit more comfortable they won't be on the road the entire time yeah he's uh chovy's also going to be playing in asia games um so we'll see how he does there i think that could be an extra confidence boost if that roster does well it's hard to say at this point in time um how all that's going to go down because asia games is a weird and mysterious tournament with like very strange rules and everything is like best of three and <laughs> are, are the, is there going to be an english cast for that wolf 
We don't know. Um, I, I, I have reached out. I haven't gotten a response. I really hope so. Um, I think there will be. Is it going to be us? I don't know. I would really love to do it, but I, I just have no idea. So, But you won't be able to up. say blood or kills. I don't know what's going on with that. <laughs> I, I can tell you two things, though. A, I don't think the English cast will have that restriction, and if B, they try to hire me with the stipulations, I will refuse to do it. <laughs> so... <laughs> I won't be saying first point and second point and triple point instead of triple kill. That won't be that won't be me. <laughs> it's not going to be how it's I do too, that. It's too funny that they might actually mandate that the casters speak in that way. Uh, but I guess we'll just we'll have to wait and see if it happens. Also, speaking of of things that that were said or will be said, can you can you explain to me why Peanut was introduced by Caster Jun as Nut God Peanut? <laughs> <laughs> so he's gotten he's gotten um the nickname in korea god nut like okay. you know yes. where you, how you yeah, say yeah. god but it sounds like god yeah. god nut yeah. um yeah. and whoever decided to translate that i believe that's what caster jun said i don't know but of course i was very my eyes were very much like drawn to the the subtitle that said nut god <laughs> and there was just a moment because we didn't see this in rehearsal and there's a moment where we were watching the opening and then me Valdez and the Chronicle just looked at each other. We were like, that one just probably should have like got a second looking QA. We <laughs> should have, that one probably should have made it through, but um, who knows? You know, I don't know what he does in his personal life, but like, <laughs> He was obviously, um, we, we call him the golden nut sometimes, uh, <laughs> locally at the LCK broadcast. Um, the one true nut, um, <laughs> he's got a lot of great nicknames. Oh man, that was too funny. Uh, well, I'm, I'm tentatively excited to see Gen G at the world championship. I'm glad KT managed to just kind of sweep their way on through, um, the regional qualifiers. I'm glad we're going to see T1. I'm really hopeful that this break is going to allow Faker's arm to heal a little bit, even though he is participating in the Asian games. He's probably not going to be actually playing. He might play a game or two, but I think for the most part, he'll be recovering and resting. And also, I mean, you just would rather have Chovy playing in the important matches right now, I think. Yeah, there's not a lot of like really, I mean, they're probably, they probably do exist, but they're not, you know, I haven't looked fully into them, but I'm guessing that if you're on the roster, you still get military exemption, even right. if you um, don't play. But if there is some stipulation I've missed, because I, again, like I said, I think that is the, the case where if you're on the bench, you still get it. He'll probably play like whatever games are required, and that's going to be it. Um, but I, again, I think the requirement is zero, but I, I am not 100% sure about that. But yeah, I think he will mostly just be supporting the team. And I think a lot of the players that you could have on a roster like this who would sit on the bench won't be useful at all, you know, in terms of sharing information. Like you've got a lot of top tier players who overall just defer to what the coaches tell them to do. And they just are really strong mechanical players. Faker is actually a, a nice benefit to have on your team, at least because I think he looks at the game in a very yeah, intelligent way, obviously. Coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think he's gonna be huge, and they have Coma as a coach as well. So like Faker and Coma together should be able to make some cool stuff happen. They'll probably have a really good read on that, um, which could help some of these players before they go to Worlds uh, as well. Maybe Chovy gets a little bit of extra practice on the patch in a really competitive setting. Um, of course, his uh, rest of his team isn't all completely LCK um, with Kanavi and Ruler, but maybe they'll learn some stuff they can bring back to JDG, uh, etc. As well, so. I'm looking forward to Asian games in terms of what it could potentially mean for military exemption, but otherwise I just don't really look at it like it's a real high level tournament that should be taken very seriously. <laughs> so um we'll I mean we'll see. Like it's it's a really cool Olympic event, but it's not the pinnacle of Asian League of Legends competition. We'll see that at Worlds. Sure. Uh do you wanna say a few words over Hanwa's corpse? Uh now that they are definitely removed after they spent all this money wolf they they bought zeka and king in so high so high coming off the world championship they paid god knows how much money to viper to be on this roster and it was just a trash can obviously clid 
even before was not helping, but especially after the scandal thrust Grizzly, who I think it was good to mention, as you did on the cast and the regional qualifier, that this is a guy who is kind of like thrust into this position and probably wasn't ready for it. But at the end of the day, once we got into best of fives, because of the way that Hanwha played, he was really quite easy to exploit in many ways. Yeah, I mean, his Viego, he was super relied on, but he didn't have the the great ga- Viego gameplay that we've seen from him in the past. I mean, like, he got those early two kills in game three, I believe it was, but, or sorry, um, game four, I believe it was, because Hama yeah, actually four. stole game one. Um, they should have lost that game as well. But anyway, um, he, he looked a little bit exposed in terms of champion pool, but again, early days in this guy's career. I do think he has a lot of potential. I think we've, we've talked about this on the show a few times. Like, I think he definitely could be a really good player in the future. Um, he kind of felt like a Willer type to me, where Willer was a little bit weaker when Hanwha qualified back in 2021, but really helped Chovy and he was Chovy's bodyguard and was able to come through. This is a little bit different, obviously. Willer had almost no real experience in those high-stakes best-of-fives. He kind of showed up, though. Grizzly, on the other hand, didn't really and made a lot of mistakes reminiscent of Clid's mistakes where he would just get picked right before um, these big objectives. And I don't know if that has anything to do with the shot calling on, on Hanwar or not, because it was really reminiscent of how Clid was getting picked. So hard to say, but I just think he, he was really new. So it's hard to blame him, but you can, however, blame Hanwa for not adra- uh, doing any draft adaptation whatsoever since playoffs started at all. They drafted the exact same way every time. And then when Sejuani was banned every game, Zeko was like, well, I can't play Yone now. And then Izazir has always been like middle to when he's on, like high, but it averages around pretty middling for me, Zeko's Azir. I think his world's performance last year was kind of shocking because he played very well on the Azir, but otherwise just, you know, was pretty mediocre in LCK, like just to to contextualize, as DRX were, right? But the um Akali he picked in the in that series um against D plus was like it was in my mind a terrible pick made absolutely no sense even though it's counter pick um well especially if you're picking it into like Rel Cassante and Lulu yeah like, like that's really hard to play Akali into it's it was it was pretty desperate and like. That's the kind of player that Zeka has been for a lot of his career. And when Akali was in S-tier pick in Worlds, it was like, all right, cool, yeah, I can play this one. This is awesome. This is amazing. Uh, when it's not, and they ban a lot of his champions away, and he picks Akali into Silas, you're like, how much growth have we seen from you this year? Is like the question I have to, to ask. Because going into playoffs, I was like, Zeka's improved a lot. When he's on the champions, he's good at He's doing a lot in lane. He's doing a lot in team fights. He's been pretty clutch. But then when he is forced into an awkward champion pool, I, it feels like I'm watching DRX again, especially with King and um, who struggled a little bit in this series as well. He both won and lost that Aatrox game for his team by getting massively ahead and then running towards the enemy team when they weren't set up to do so. Like, when they got that Baron, and then he just ran at the team and died, and the the team fight just obliterated them, I was like, this team is clueless about what they need to do in these moments, and, like, this team is not good together. They are not good for each other. (laughs) Like, I think that is very clear. This team is not good for each other. I think Zekka's empowered if he has a strong jungler. If he has a really top-tier jungler, he looks better. He's with Grizzly, and he was with Clid, so shaky season. Viper needs a strong shot caller in his team. He tried to do it, it looked like, in Worlds Qualifiers because he was talking a lot. Like, he was really communicating. But I think he needs, obviously, just a better team in general that he deserves. But I, I just felt like this team disappointed us early. We got some hope. Disappointed us again. We got some hope. Disappointed us again. And at the end, we were like, well, maybe they should be better than D+, right? Like, D+, looked really weak at the end of the season. Nope, not better than D+. And they fall apart, and that's that's it. And Viper, he's probably going back to China. Let's be realistic with the salary caps and stuff coming. Because <laughs> if he's not, and he wants to get money, then the rest of his team has to be bad. because there's not Or on existing contracts. Or he goes True. to T1. 
<laughs> or somebody, you know, just is willing to pay the, the luxury tax for him. I mean, that's totally an option, by the way. And Hanwa is a team that has quite a bit of money, so it's not outside of the realm of possibility that they might try and do something different. But this roster was just insanely badly GM'd by Hanwa. Um, this is really disappointing given the amount of money that they spent. They shouldn't have been trying to buy Zeka and King and Hyde. Like, I would have rather... Uh, there are so many different other options I think you could have pursued in terms of this roster creation, and Clid was clearly not it. It's not like Clid was coming off of a banger season from LPL either, so this was just really disappointing. I don't blame Grizzly, but basically, Grizzly was a problem because the only thing he he did was cross map from other junglers, right? He tried to avoid action early. That was the Hanwha game plan. And what this does is that it allowed teams to really start stacking a lot of early dragons because they just wouldn't contest the first two dragons or they would do it badly. And then you're forced into situations where you have to team fight everybody, you know, all these teams that were playing against them around third and fourth Drake. And once people realized that they could do this to Hanwha, that there really just like wasn't going to be any pushback early, it it made it very easy. I think it made it, it also very easy. Made it really easy to put pressure on Viper every game because you saw yeah, you so play many on the, bot side. Yeah, you just play around bottom side, and Grizzly was always like fifteen seconds too late. Like he realizes, okay, all right, we've got vision that they're the, our, the enemy jungler's not top side. You know, Kingen's pushing or, or, in a little bit. There's no pressure, and then he's just not there when the gank happens. And then he's like, "I'm here." Oh, Viper lost his sums. Or, or, or he would do things like he would see the dragon go down in the D plus series, which is playing Nocturne. Kenyon would recall the base, and Grizzly would be trying to counter jungle him on the opposite side of the map. But he would take so long doing it that Kenyon would just recall, come back, and then come into the jungle, kill him, and then take Harold. And it's just like at that point, it just hurts, man. It just hurts. Yeah, I, I think Hanwa's preparation against KT was really bad as well. Like going into D plus, it's hard to, to take a lot away from their three zero over DRX, except that they looked really good, but they didn't really show specific patterns that you have. You really had to worry about, except obviously Showmaker picking up the Silas, which Chovy already showed. So that shouldn't have come as a big shock to anybody. But the, the preparation for Hanwa was was or sorry, for KT by Hanwa, was pretty bad considering that KT looked super exposed in that series uh, against T1, and then they just didn't change their drafting style against KT. Like, what did Hanwa do after getting eliminated from playoffs? Like, did they go I'm... take a workshop on the top of a mountain, you know, like Korean companies do oftentimes, with like, we need to just bond together and, like, drink soju and, and try to get closer with each other. I think that's the real problem. I don't know what they did. I don't know. I, I have no idea, but it... They did not prepare for these best of fives the same way their opposition did. And that's, to me, like, the biggest issue. And is is it just, is, is Zeka not figure out how to play other champions? Like, okay, that's <laughs> fine, but can you get a strategy that empowers him? He also plays Silas. He doesn't have to play a Kali. You don't have to do that. You don't have to make those choices. If you guys can't figure out how to use him, why'd you buy him? And for Zeka, like, where's the growth, man? Where's the growth? Like, I, I think Zeka's a fantastic player, but, like, he needs he better. Wins. He needs coaches that are going to challenge him and expand his champion pool. He can't. I mean, he didn't change at all this year. Like, yeah. what did he do? Like, literally, for people out there who are these, I don't understand where these Zeka stands come from. By the way, it's fucking weird. Uh, but what did he do this year? Seriously, he learned Tristana. That's about all he learned, as far as I can tell. He had the Yone before, guys. He had the Yone yeah. before. He had and the so, Ori before. You know, he, some of these other tech picks. Yeah. He had the, he had the Ari before, but we mostly just saw the same old, same old from Zeka, and that and even on the I wish even some of these champs that he had played previously he was better at, but he hasn't even improved on those champions, so it's been pretty disappointing, I would say. Yeah, like he he also is a pretty good quirky player. He wasn't willing to pull that one out, you know. Like it's just it's 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 disappointing and. Uh, we know this roster isn't going to stay together. I mean, I don't know that for a fact, but like we know, right? Like it's it, there's almost no chance this this roster stays together. Um, but I don't know if any of these players will go on. And I know as Hana was one of the the orgs that was pushing the most for, and even publicly so in the past, um, pushing for salary caps. Um, it was kind of odd to me that they made this big spending push, kind of bombed. 
And now, like, next year, I think they're probably going to go budget, even though you were saying, like, technically they could keep Viper. He's, you know, has a relationship with the org. He played with them in 2019. But I think they're probably going to be like, whoa, we spent a lot of money. This didn't work. I definitely don't want to do this. And um, that's that's the thing about what we, what we were talking about earlier, about how teams can pay the tax and they can't exceed the salary cap. I just think, based on the fact that these teams decided collectively to to implement it i don't think we'll see very we'll see very few teams actually try to um break it so uh, because this team isn't staying together i hope that zeka finds a new home where he can be impactful i think kingen is better served the way he was used in this team was kind of sometimes they wanted him to be super aggressive and play play hyper aggressive champs like he did in the uh world's finals where he got mvp but sometimes they want to play him weak side. I think he should always be a weak side focused guy with some tech picks like he has the Aatrox, the Camille he's pretty good at, his NAR is very good. And just play him like teams play Dudu. Like Dudu's insanely good for Kwangdong, even though that team is, you know, a bit of a tragedy. Like I'd like to see Kingen on a team that's stronger where he could play like Doran or like Dudu, where it's like, all right, well, he's going to absorb some pressure. He's going to improve as a player in that niche. And like, it's not going to be about him almost ever because. Hanwha tried to make it about him and Zeka only, and then like left Viper on an island, and they're like, well, he'll scale. It's fine. Um, especially with Grizzly, they're like, yeah, well, Grizzly's not going to help you, so good luck. Life might roam, so, you know, um, hold those plates down there. Uh, I'd like to see Kingan on a team where he could be a little bit more of a facilitator. And Viper, I don't know if he'll ever be on a team, you know, if he wants to make the money he was making this year in Korea that, that could support him that is good enough for his standard. So I expect he's going to go to China, but this team is not good for each other. That's, that's kind of my final thoughts. And I, like you said, GM'd badly, including like the PR around Khalid and everything that happened there handled very badly. It was just kind of a disaster year for Hanwha. And yet they got so close to being at worlds at least and couldn't even do that. So disappointment. I'm glad to see them gone because they they were just playing without any spirit at the end, too. And the, the counterpoint to this is that D-plus ended up being quite a pleasant surprise. Uh, I thought Showmaker looked a lot better. He had been pretty shaky this year as a, on, a, a, you know, on the whole. But perhaps, you know, his motivation may have returned. He talked about having motivation issues earlier in the year. And I think that really showed in terms of his own effectiveness and and the depth of his champion pool. But I thought he looked pretty good throughout the regional qualifiers. And, you know, we got to see some of the stuff that you know, makes this team fun, which is some dominant Canyon jungle performances, good pathing, good reads. Uh, Kellen, who's been in and out for Bible, I thought had some very good games in this, in the best of five that they played against Hanwha. Kellen's Alistair was actually out of control good. And, you know, he's it's been a pick he's played in the past and looked okay on. Like, he's not a bad Alistair player, but we were pretty blown away by how well he played, um, even interrupting shuffles twice in that series of the Azir. And just overall played really clean League of Legends, wasn't scared, was very confident. And sometimes when you swap players in and out, like Bible coming in for his, you know, shot calling, you know, supposedly... Um, and then struggling in the lane, it makes you frustrated as, as the bench player. You get motivated. You're like, I'm better than this guy. Like, what's going on? Like, I don't know if that's what, what happened with Kellen, but he clearly spent some of that time that he was on the bench really working hard, really grinding and, and putting in the hours to actually improve because he looked ready to go to Worlds. And it was a cool storyline, obviously, because Showmaker and Canyon have never missed Worlds since they came into the LCK, and they won't be missing it this year either. And that was the most positive surprise for me of this entire Worlds qualifier because I thought going into this, it's going to be Hanwha, probably. It might be D+, but if Hanwha loses to D+, it's going to be a messy series where we're not happy about anything. Um, and at the end of the day, what actually happened is I'm pretty enthusiastic about D+. Yep, like I actually think I they could... I think if they went to the upper bracket, they had a pretty good chance of beating KT. Like, they looked better than KT, I think, overall. And I'm suddenly thinking, especially when you consider how D-plus has been so good at new metas, that with uh, the changes and the patches that will happen before Worlds, they'll have a really good read on that as well. They have a ton of extra time, too, before this world. So they could not be our best-performing team, um, besides Gen.G, right? Because obviously Gen.G is, is the clear favorite of all of our teams, and clearly the best. But, like... 
I'm saying beyond Gen G because I think there's a huge gap right now between Gen G's performance we saw in playoffs and then the rest of the other teams, especially in that finals. So kind of excited about D plus. Feel very good about Showmaker's current form. Will we maintain that? Hard to say, but with a lot of break time here, because that seems to be the issue for him is is burnout. I think he should should be in, in top form by the time we get to Worlds. There's also not really a lot of point in grinding super hard right now because you're still a couple patches away from the actual Worlds patch. So until that hits live, I think may, many teams will probably... I mean, do you have you heard from teams? Are they going to take a short break after all of this? It seems like there's not a lot of point to practicing right now. So because we're a few patches away, I think a lot of teams are going to be taking a... You know, most teams take like a two-week break to send everybody back to their, their families or, or whatever they want to do. You right, know, so yeah, a, yeah. Lot of, a lot of teams um, or a lot of players go on vacation for like a week. They'll travel to like Japan or, or go to, you know, like Indonesia or whatever they want to do. Like just go to the beach and chill during, you know, while it's still good weather um, and then go stay with their families for a week and then come back and start uh, grinding with the team. A lot of um, teams and rosters, and you'll see this on like Instagram or whatever, a lot of rosters that are really close to each other will actually do like a team trip um, the players together and go somewhere. Uh, it's happened a lot. Sometimes the team like sponsors that and sends them. Sometimes they do it on their own. Um, sometimes the the players, you know, will go like as a duo or whatever. But most teams, I think, are be taking about a two week break. Is is the kind of the consensus I've been hearing. Um, and then obviously some of the players participating in Asia Games will be ramping up to that a lot sooner. Um, but beyond that. I know for a fact a lot of teams are already sending players by players, you know, piece by piece to starting uh, to start coming over here and boot camping. I think we'll probably see teams in a few weeks start scrimming um, the teams that are here for boot camps once they have their full rosters here. So it's going to be a really long build up to Worlds that I think in some ways benefits uh, Korea because they're the, the home team, right? Um, and they will be able to practice on solo queue, which... It's awkwardly like this weird thing where they go play in Champions queue in another region, and they're like, I'm actually getting worse from this practice. Uh, but I think it does benefit also the teams that, that come early for boot camp here, and because of the longer period of time, teams that invest in playing on the Korean server for longer and trying to get into scrims for longer will be able to grow quickly. But yeah, I, I, going back to the original question, I think Showmaker will still have some decent time off before he has to get back on the grind. Yeah. I I just think like this is going to make a, a big difference for the Korean teams because they they don't have to worry about the travel this time around and they can take a break and there's not there's not a huge point to practicing right now but I also think D plus is just the team that in a best of one in Swiss I think they could beat absolutely anybody in a single game because it it only takes one of those like weird canyon pop off performances to completely dominate the the enemy team. I don't know if this is the team that I think is going to like make a deep run at the world championship. Like, are they going to make finals? I would say probably not like Kana. I, 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 there were glimpses of what this team could be. I think in regionals, which is that if Kana is weak siding, right? If they figure out their support problems and if, you know, deft can continue his really good performance that he's had all year and showmaker Ha is actually back in some level um, to his former self, which he hasn't been for most of this year, then there's still the opportunity that this team could do very well. Like the, the, the ceiling of this team is obviously very high, but if you see a dip in Showmaker's performance again, or they fall into their kind of garbage shot calling rut, or they, they still are uh, struggling at the support position, or they have to rely on Kana to carry, these are things that make you worried about D+. Yeah. I completely agree. Deft looked very good in the uh, the regional qualifiers, so there's some hope there. I think the the thing, the big takeaway for me for this Worlds qualifiers to last was last year. I felt DRX they went they won the whole thing right, but at the moment when DRX won, I was pretty disappointed because I was like, oh, I think Live Sandbox is better. I think KT is better. I think DRX had this lucky run. Both KT and, and Live Sandbox inter, uh, underperformed. And I, I walked away from the world's qualifiers going, well, we got three teams at Worlds and then DRX is over there. Now, everyone will like point for like, but like at that time, before they had their miracle run, they looked really weak. And, yes. and clearly there were underperformances from Prince in particular on Live Sandbox. And we were like, oh man, he was crying because he knew he had a bad series. It's not going to Worlds. Um, this time I feel very good 
about D plus going like this time. I'm like, Oh, nice. Like this team actually looks yeah, really yeah. good right now. Like this time I'm like, Oh wow. I'm pleasantly surprised. Like we got another strong team in here. I thought it was going to be like last year where I was just going, well, yeah, D plus got a lot of issues, but they went or Oh, Hanwa went, but they've got serious problems with their prep and Grizzlies too young, like are or too new. Like, can they actually go far? Um, so I'm, I'm very, I feel like we're very lucky that D plus suddenly showed up just as a region. Yeah. Um, so I, I was pleasantly surprised. It makes me feel better about the teams that are going because I think KT will be fine. You know, once world rolls, rolls, rolls around, they were really consistent over the course of the split. And I think that now you're out of playoffs and you can kind of get some distance and look back at what happened versus T1. Um, there were just some really obvious flaws that I don't think are going to be that difficult to fix and probably just a break and some, some time separating that will allow you to diagnose them. Like, I don't think they're going to be as cocky coming into series at worlds as it felt like they were in playoffs. Um, yeah, I, I don't yeah. think they're going to be doing a bunch of the weird stuff in the early game that really isn't their strong suit. Um, you know, playing match, you know, matchups very aggressively in bot lane at level one that they lose. Just very strange. Very strange. I think BD is is the one that I trust the most um, in terms of his wide champion pool, his experience, because he's been around for a very long time. Like, I think he won't be affected by the meta like we've seen Zeka, you know, obviously been, been affected by the meta. Showmaker has also sometimes been a little bit weaker in, in certain metas, but um, he usually comes around eventually. But BDD, I trust, will be very good because... Not 100% sure if I, you know, I mean, the meta hasn't changed in jungle for a really long time, so maybe he will still just be able to play the the standard meta champion, Sejuani the Maokai. Um, his Lee Sin is, like, not very standout, you know, for example, if that becomes a thing. His Viego is fine. Um, and then Keen. Keen, I'm, I'm, you know, you and I were so high on Keen this entire year, and for good reason, especially in, in summer season. But he, it's not like he had a bad performance in playoffs, but he just didn't have the the peak performances that we saw from him in the past. The rise so, performance was really good, and it was a great pick into the Gragas. Yeah, that was that was really cool. That was really niche. But otherwise, you know, I mean, his performance on that champ was also like pretty crazy, uh, all things considered. But I, I do wonder if, like, right now, if we have kind of average to high keen, that's fine. But if we do get peak keen back. You know, maybe that's He'll that's the angle for KT. Don't you worry. Don't you worry, Wolf. He'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think I look, I think Keen was really cocky in the way he approached the Zayas matchup in the first series, but the second series was a lot better. And I think that we did see performances. I mean, he he heavily bailed out game four when Lehens like inted it at level one. If he hadn't stepped up, um, that would have been, I think, a very very different result and it would have the series would have been over sooner right yeah agreed so. t1 is is one of those teams that is a very unknown quantity for me because i just before faker i mean faker was injured for a while right before faker actually said, i'm so injured i'm taking a step away there were issues in that team and it seemed like the team wasn't getting along with each other in terms of how they were playing that's just like you know conjecture based on what we saw in their play, like based on the way that they weren't playing together like they were in spring. They weren't coordinating big fights and big turns with the same caliber of control and oppression um, that we saw in the past where it just seemed like you just can't beat this team. Even if they're out of position, they're just going to snap turn on you and, and kill you in a front to back super well. Um, I feel like we didn't see that from T1 throughout the re uh, a lot of the regular season. They brought it back a little bit when Faker returned. Um, and after this loss, I don't know how they're going to take the loss. They probably won't take it too badly because they've been at like every finals for the last every tournament they've ever been in. Um, so uh, for, for this roster, so I think they'll probably be. I mean, yeah, they want to win the title, but I think they they're like, okay, we got finals again. We performed really well, but how they bounce back with Faker recovering from his injury, Guma bouncing back, and he really needs to improve his champion pool. I think against the best of the best because against. Yeah, eighty percent of the LCK it's fine. Yeah, you, you can play Zeri against those guys, but against the top teams, like he seems a little shaky on the pick. If he can work on that, maybe T one could surprise us and and go all the way. I wasn't super high on T one last year when they were at, at MSI. They surprised me and made it to the finals, and it was very close finals. I wasn't super high on on T one um, at the beginning of Worlds last year, but they also turned it around and, and had a great run. And I kind of feel similarly now where I'm like, yeah, well, 
they should be able to make knockouts 100%. I'm not worried about that at all. But how do you, how deep do they go is a question that you know we won't really have the answer to until we get there, until we see their form. But the one thing you know, the known quantity of T1, and it's it's not Faker. I was gonna be, he's going to say Faker. The known quantity of T1 <laughs> is that these five players... They choke. I, that wasn't what I was going to say either. The, they choke in finals, but before the finals, okay, I'm just talking about in general... The known quantity is these five players go to finals. They perform well at international events. They are five players who have an incredible um, history of success at events like Worlds, like MSI, like Worlds in Past, like LCK playoffs. So I know they have it in them to do well. We'll see what they do. That's yeah. kind of like, for me, I don't want to predict where, where T1's going right now because I don't know what those, those players are going to look like until we get to Worlds. <laughs> Uh, yes, they yeah, in finals. You're right on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do think that uh, I, I am pleased with the teams that are getting sent. I was, a, like you said earlier, I was a little suspicious about the fourth seed, but I was really glad to see at least D plus step it up. Now, part of that was they played against DRX and like Hanwha, which looked lo like a lifeless corpse, right? But I'm, I'm hopeful. We at least people will be excited to see this roster because it has Canyon and Showmaker and Deft on it, which is enough. Uh, the storylines are obviously going to be very good heading back in. Uh, and I, I like the fact that Deft will have the chance to eliminate his final previous world champion teammate in Pioshik at the world at Worlds because he eliminated all of the other ones from Worlds contention so far. So I'm hoping we get to see the uh, the liquid versus D plus matchup. Maybe in an elimination match in Swiss or something like that. That, that would, would be, be really cool. Yeah, that would be really cool. Deft is like, I was the one. I was the, the one doing the last dance. Uh, <laughs> I was the, the one with the unbreakable he's the Highlander. Spirit. There can be only one uh, <laughs> surviving member of DRX. <laughs> or Barrel. Um, we didn't really talk about DRX, but I don't, I don't really not? want to either. <laughs> <laughs> Why would we spend our time doing that? Uh, so, what were your, what were your thoughts about this this season? Let's wrap up this season of LCK because this was a really exciting season in a lot of ways. There was a really tight race between Gen G and uh, KT that ended up really mattering in the final weeks of of performance that put KT on top temporarily. Obviously, the the injury to Faker will now be forever remembered because of how bad his team was without him, which just goes to show how incredibly valuable he is as a voice within the game when it comes to strategy and macro, even if he is individual abilities are not the best. He he's absolutely indispensable to this roster. And we also got to see, you know, as, as shitty as his injury was, we got a really good playoff run out of T1 once he returned. And that was exciting. It made it for a much more exciting playoffs than could have been. Right. If he was still really hurt or couldn't play, this would have been a very lame playoffs. But instead, it ended up being really, really, really compelling. Yeah, I think we had a lot of really awesome stories in, in playoffs. I think playoffs was was really fun. It was one of the more interesting ones where you just didn't necessarily know what was going to happen. Whereas the past few playoffs have often felt kind of scripted where you're like, well, it's these two. Like, we'll see you at the end. Um, and then obviously KT versus T1 in spring was a bit of a, you know, unexpected result where it was like, oh, that was close. That was weird for a second. Then KT were expected to beat Genji and then they didn't do it. Then Genji won the whole thing. Like that was kind of interesting, but I feel like we had several stories like that this summer. Um I think KT is is really the big takeaway for me for the summer and for the year. If you look at the the lineup, the roster, and you like list all the names, you're like Keen, trapped in Africa, now finding success, right? Cuz very mediocre player for a lot of his career since the King Zone days. And then you're like, BDD, we saw his play on Nongshim last year. was not it. Aiming, nobody's high on this guy before this tournament. Lahan's okay. Like, Lahan's, I'm like, okay, this guy's sick. Like, we know this guy's amazing, right? But when we saw the KT roster, everyone was kind of like, eh, could be like playoffs material maybe. You know, that's that's kind of the vibe we had for this. Well, and... I mean, aiming was very good towards the end of last year. Um, yeah, but he was the bright spot of that KT roster where he they was, were struggling was, with mid lane and everything like that. He, and he also was like really good at Kaisa back then and, and Ezreal a little bit. And we were like, yeah, it's champion pool seems a little bit small and he has really high highs, but his average was pretty mediocre is what I would say. But yeah, he did. He was the shining light on that team and they had a lot of problems. But for me, like I, my takeaway with KT is 
if you put the right players together, this is like just proof that if you have the right players together and the right mentality, I think almost any roster can do anything as long as you have enough experience and you have the the skill to back it up. And each one of these players came from like kind of a place of my team was struggling, minus Lahens, of course, and popped off this this year and this season. And I think that was for me a kind of a touching story of like these players aren't washed. They still want it. They can still do it. You put the right combination of players together and like anything is possible in the LCK. So that was uh, one of the big takeaways for me. And then a lot of the um, hype for some of these challengers players, I think, is kind of deflated a little bit with what's going on with Kwangdong and, and Bulldog, right? And um, Grizzly is is not really in this conversation because he like kind of suddenly like what got pushed up and into this awkward position. It wasn't like being sent up normally, so I wouldn't put him in this conversation. But also we saw Yahoo um, and Podic from DRX. Like the Academy system is still not really being utilized correctly by teams. And like Duck Dom got sent down for still nobody really fully understands because he's popping the fuck off in challengers. Like he's actually killing it every day in challengers. He looks way better than his counterpart in, in, uh, on the, on the DRX squad in Podic. No offense to Podic, but like, DRX like, yeah, well, Podic did better in trials, so we picked him. I'm like, is that how this goes? Like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I, 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 I'm still a little bit upset about how Challengers is utilized. D-plus used Bible. They weren't willing to take the, the big risk and, and go in with Lucid, like I was talking about before this qualifiers. You know, hey, it worked out. In the end, they looked very good. Um, but next year, I'm hoping that if we do have a huge influx of Challengers players, that they are coached early and brought in very early because we've also seen challengers players here in the LCK get burnt out or fail um, in a big way. Under high-pressure situations, Bulldog does not look like the same player he looked like in spring, for example. So coaching is really important. Hard to quantify, hard to see, hard to identify, but it's clearly making a huge impact in some of these series, like what we saw from Genji um, in the finals, what we saw or what we didn't see from Hanwa in these qualifiers and in playoffs. So um doesn't matter. Like my, my main point here is it doesn't matter who the player is and how good you think they are. It's how good you, you how well you use them. Like Zeka King and um, for example, um, how well you use them, how well you develop them is more important at the end of the day. Well, since you've been doing a, a lot of the challenger stuff, are there any players and challengers that you think are going to have like really big years as rookies in LCK next year? Because people talk about like Lucid or Thanatos or these guys. So who who are Wolf's predictions for breakout stars for 2024? I mean, my, my main three are Thanatos and Lucid and Feisty. Um, Feisty is a KT player and he did play in that game, um, that one game where KT like subbed their challengers team in at the end of the regular season and won anyways. Uh, it was kind of a controversial thing but he i think he is super good i think he's very very strong player um romer from hanwha life esports is also very good he's a little bit inconsistent like sometimes he he's like i, I would compare him almost almost like how showmaker is mostly really good but some during some periods are like what's going on like he's having a bit of a off round here uh, in this tournament i think romer is definitely a player we could see brought up and i think he's very talented that's like the main list duck dom you know he's a great challengers player like i think he could definitely make a, a big splash like you know i think you guys could look forward to seeing duck dom next year in lck like i think he's very good uh and like there's one player who i think is i don't know if he'll be in lck next year but he's on bro his name is kangin i think he's very good i think he he's he got brought in very late into the season. Like he got signed, I think, in round two of uh, summer season. But he is very good. He's a top laner, very, very good. Wide champion pool. He does weird stuff. Like he was playing Pantheon top. Um, he's he's very mechanically gifted. And I think he's very smart. And even though Bro is like a not great team in challengers, if there are scouts looking at this guy, I think he definitely could get picked up. Um, and Maybe not in spring, but I think by summer, like people will be talking about this guy. Is I think he's insane. There's a lot of other really high uh, potential players, but they're all too young to play um, in the LCK. So, fair enough. 
All right. Well, any any closing thoughts on this year? I'm sure you'll be at back on for SI or other shows during Worlds, so no no need to worry. We may may do some streaming. We'll see how it how it ends up uh, with your world schedule and everything like that. Considering it'll yeah. be in Korea, and I will also be in Korea for Worlds, so we'll we'll do some stuff. We'll definitely do some <laughs> stuff. Um, I really enjoyed the year doing Monty Wolf with you, and uh, I hope the LCK surprises me again. In worlds and we actually end up getting another title i hope they surprise me because right now i'm a little bit worried a little bit worried but we got top tier gen g okay they look really KT good will win worlds keen and kt on the rise please please lck please i would like one more world's title please <laughs> jdg in the trash can keen keen just dumping all over ruler let's go that's what i want to see that's what i want to see <laughs> I think JG will win worlds to be clear, but one can dream. One can I dream. I thought they were going to win last year too, but <laughs> it didn't happen. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we are still going to be running Power Spike and Summoning Insight throughout worlds. Uh, but as, of course, the regional league ends, so do the Bonnie Wolf Show and Best Damn League Show. So there you go. Uh, we'll catch you again probably for some preview content for Korea starting in 2024. We'll see you then.